on missions uh, comes close uh, to us in Indiana. One of the beauties of being uh, in uh, this part of the country is that every few years it comes near. Uh, this year it's in Cincinnati, as I just said. Um, you may be asking yourself, okay, great video. What's International Conference on Missions? Uh, the shortest way I can say it is it's a great time for missionaries from around the world uh, to come together uh, to encourage one another, uh, to be encouraged. Uh, we took our family a few years ago when the, the conference was in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, um, just our presence um, going from booth to booth to these missionaries from Pakistan and um, different places, different nations in Africa, South America, even in the United States. They would tell us just how encouraging it was to them to know that people cared enough to hear what they were doing for uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ all around the world. And it is just kind of in our back door when you think about Cincinnati being just um, a little drive away. Uh, what we would like to do, if there's enough interest, um, the missions team wants to purchase a church membership uh, a pass to the International Conference on Missions so that you, your family, a group of friends between November 15th and the 18th can carpool down to Cincinnati and take it in for a day. Um, if you want to stay the night, then lodging and meals are kind of on your own, um, but it would be an encouraging time for you. I cannot tell you, you know, walking our boys through exhibits and letting them hear stories. Um, we've supported a, a mission personally as a family called Rafa House uh, for a number of years now. It means House of Healing. It's a ministry that's now in Thailand, Cambodia, and Haiti, um, helping girls who have been victims of sex trafficking, rescued, prevented from going into it. And having our boys walk through this huge exhibit for Rafa House, um, touching purses that were made by these girls that helped them find a new purpose afterwards, listening to stories, it helps them see the world differently. It helps us see the world differently. And so I would challenge you, November 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, uh, would you take time out? Let us know on your connection card if you would be interested. We're going to have that in there again next week and see if your heart doesn't grow uh, for missions. Lebanon Christian Church, uh, if you've been here with us throughout our 35 years, you know has a rich tradition of supporting uh, mission work throughout our world, uh, in our community, uh, in our country, uh, around the world. We've done so much financially, um, and, and our hope and our goal is that we would continue to not only give of our, our gifts, but of our time, of our resources, that we would choose to use our mouths as mouthpieces for the work that God's doing around the world. And the International Conference on Mission gives us just one of those opportunities. Um, just as a reminder, um, one of the ways we give to missions are the primary ways through something called Faith Promise. Uh, every fall, we have this Faith Promise giving initiative. It's a challenge to raise commitments for what we'll give in the coming year. And then our missions team bases the support we give around the world uh, based upon those commitments. And so uh, you can see that last year, like two $227,000 was committed, and uh, so far we've received um, uh, just over 85000 of that, I think. And uh, so if you've made commitments, continue to bring those in so we can support the work that God is doing uh, around the world. I want to pray for you uh, before we jump into this final message on loving. Father, um, may we be overwhelmed by your grace, uh, God, by your might. Uh, Lord, by your majesty. Father, even though our world is broken and that our lives experience that brokenness, um, we really find ourselves in a privileged position to worship you freely in this place, to speak of you freely in public. God, sometimes the 
privileged place we find ourselves in, I think, lulls us to sleep. We fail to acknowledge your wonder, your awe, your, your, your awesomeness. And so, God, I pray you would confront us, Father, if we're growing calloused, if we're taking things for granted, that you would awaken us to you in this place, that that would be reflected in how we surrender to your word, how we choose to live according to your ways, how we choose to live for you. God, over the next several minutes, uh, please teach us your words and help us to become more and more the people you've called us to be. And God, I pray that there would be those in this room that are seeking. Uh, they don't know what they're searching for, uh, but God, they found themselves here today and that they would see that ultimately their heart longs for you and that they would come to embrace you and your life, your purpose, your hope. And it's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. So I want to introduce you to um, a couple of girls that are very dear to the heart of some people in my home. Um, this is Charlie and Elsie. Uh, the boys love them. They're about a uh, little bit over a year old. Um, they came into our family last August, born last June. And um, Audrey and the boys, they love them. I, I have an affectionate name for them. Um, I call them terrierists because uh, uh, they are West Highland Terriers, mixed with bichon frise, whatever that is, and uh, which really means they're cute and cuddly and really rude all at the same time. Um, so anyway, those are their dogs. They love them. They're part of our family. Um, they drive us nuts. Then at the same time, they can uh, show you that they care. Those of you that are dog lovers, you get that. Um, those of you that are cat people, I'm sorry. Um, I, don't, I don't understand, but I know that you love your cats. I'm not mocking you. I'm just, I don't. Like, anytime I've been in a home with people with cats, they don't even come say hi. Um, but dogs always come up and they tell me hi, so that's why I like dogs. But, but again, I'm not against um, um, cats. It probably says something about your independence, too. Um, but anyway, these are our dogs. And, uh, and so their routine is when they go out for a walk, first one in the door gets off their lead, and they kind of lay and they wait, almost like a lion waiting to pounce. And so they just wait. They're their litter mates, and so they've grown up fighting and arguing and playing and all those things. And, uh, and so the last dog in the door is the one that gets pounced upon. Well, usually, because Elsie likes to do things outside a little bit quicker than Charlie likes to do things outside, Charlie's the last one in the door. And so when they were just a few months old, um, we'd only had them uh, a few weeks, uh, Charlie comes in the door last, and and Elsie is ready to pounce. And so Charlie does this acrobatic. She vaults, runs, vaults over Elsie, who's waiting to pounce, lands. But something happens between the liftoff and the landing, and she hurt herself. And immediately, she started yelping and yelping and yelping and yelping. We had no idea what was going on. She's, she's pulling up one of her legs and hobbling around on three. I mean, it was a sad thing to witness. And so she goes into her kennel, and we noticed that Every time we went to try to help her, even though she was whimpering, if we reached into that kennel, she growled at us and she showed us her teeth and she was communicating, hey, listen, I'm hurting. And if you get too close, I'm going to hurt you too. Uh, if you've watched those animal rescue videos, you know this is kind of common in the animal kingdom, that when animals are hurting, they often hurt those that are actually there to help them and rescue them. Hurting animals hurt other animals. Uh, isn't that funny that people are the same way? 
How many times have you heard someone say, or have you said, hurting people do what? Hurt people. In fact, it's so common that it's just kind of a cliche anymore. Well, we'll use it as a word of warning. If you've had a difficult interaction with somebody and someone else is going to have an interaction with them, you might warn them and say, hey, just remember, they, 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 they might say some things that they're going to regret later because hurting people hurt people. They, they've had a bad week. They've had a rough week. They're going through a tough time. Uh, th- th- there are times when we console ourselves with that because someone hurts us in some way and we're like, hey, just remember hurting people hurt people. Like, I know they were really rude, but I know they're going through, whether it's grief or financial hardship or, or maybe it's some really bad work stress, maybe it's personal illness, maybe it's some emotional turmoil. But, but we say hurting people hurt people. And we almost extend that to excuse the behavior of those people that wound us or we excuse ourselves when we uh, exhibit behavior that wounds somebody else. But the question that um, I kind of want to look at this morning, does it have to be that way? Does it have to be that hurting people hurt people? But what if there was an alternative? What if there was a more powerful way to love someone? What if we could actually help people even when we're hurting? And that would have this profound effect, transformational effect on the lives of other people. See, so often we think that when we're hurting, when bad things are happening in our life, that we just need to draw in. We need to close the doors, close the windows, and, and we'll just take care of ourselves. And, and some of us are really vocal. We let everybody else know about all the bad things that are going on in our lives. And, and it's all about us. It's all about us. It's all about us. But what happens if it doesn't become about us and it becomes about others? We're, we're in this series looking at our core value of loving. We have five core values at Lebanon Christian Church. Generous, welcoming, redemptive, loving, and rooted. Rooted in the word of God and prayer. We're going to start hitting rooted next week. But we're finishing off this series on loving. How do we extend the care and the compassion of Christ in real and authentic ways? We've already seen that Jesus is the ultimate living example of this. Jesus, who got away with his disciples to go to a quiet place, and along the way, the crowd beats him there. And he has all these people in need standing on the shore, and he looks out, and it says that he had compassion on them. His heart went out to them. Jesus didn't say, listen, I've got better things to do. It's a little bit of me time right now. Uh, He said, no, my heart goes out to them. We we saw in, in, in John that when Jesus, I think it's 1434, where, where Jesus is meeting with his disciples in the upper room, and he says to them that how they love one another, how, how disciples love disciples, how people within the church, people who call themselves Christians, love other Christians, it tells a story about God's love to the world that's watching. We need to give authentic care and compassion to, to people within the church. We saw how we need to love our enemies a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and saw how it's not an issue of figuring out who our neighbor is, who is it that I have to love, but actually being a neighbor to everyone that we meet, that we're to love all that we come in contact with. And today, what I want to show you through the life of Jesus is that Jesus also exhibits to us this really deep, profound, transformational love that's found in actually reaching out beyond our own hurt to help other people when we ourselves are hurting. Here's what I'll warn you with today. If you are in this room and you're going through a really hard time, I know you're here. Uh, You're suffering, you're struggling. Again, maybe it's grief for you. Um, Maybe for you, it's some type of financial hardship. Maybe for you, it's it's the idea of aging and what that means for you and your, your future and where you live. Maybe for you, that means what it means for your parent who's aging and whether or not they're going to come live with you or where they're going to go and what type of care they're going to receive. Wherever you're at, if you're suffering, I would encourage you to think this morning about how you might be able to reach out beyond yourself. 
to help other people when you're hurting? What if hurting other people didn't have to be the only way? Well, we're going to hang out in Jesus' life this morning. Uh, the last hours of Jesus' life. Many of you are, are familiar with the details. I'll give you a brief recap if you're not. In the final hours of Jesus' life, before he's crucified, here's kind of what happens. He, he gathers in the upper room with his disciples. He washes their feet. He shares the, the Last Supper with them, the Passover meal with them, and, and speaks those uh, sometimes seemingly weird phrases about the bread and the cup that, that Philip shared about. He speaks to his disciples about unity. He prays for his disciples. And, and then they, they begin to leave the upper room and they make their way and they meander down the streets of Jerusalem and they go towards the Mount of Olives to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and all the while as they make their way towards the garden, Jesus and 11 of the 12, Jesus is growing with this burden of the impending death that's coming. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Matthew chapter 26, verse 38 tells us that as Jesus spoke to his disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of grief. Keep watch with me. He, he looks to these men who have shared life with him for the better part of three years, and he says, Guys, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of grief. Like, he looks out, and he knows what's coming. He knows that he has to die. And can you, can you hear the, the turmoil that Jesus is going through in those words? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of grief. He is hurting. He is already suffering. And so he says, guys, keep watch with me. Stand watch with me. Pray with me. And so he goes about a stone's throw away, and he starts to pray. And he prays with such zeal and such earnestness. The Bible tells us his sweat was like drops of blood. And meanwhile, he, he, he finishes praying. He goes back to his disciples. And what are they doing? They're fast asleep. He wakes them up. Guys, come on. Can you just stand watch with me and pray? He goes away and prays again and comes back and, and they're asleep. He goes away again. And he comes back and they're asleep. And he says, guys, hey, listen, my hour has come. And as, and as they look out and they see the torches and the soldiers coming in the distance, fled by Judas, coming to betray him, one of his own disciples, he's betrayed with a kiss. He's arrested. He's taken into custody. He's put on trial. Um, he's tried for things that, that aren't even true, misrepresentations of, of who he is. Uh, he's beaten. He's flogged. Bruised, battered, a crown of thorns is just pushed down into his head. He's forced to carry part of his cross up to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And, and, and there he's forced to lie down on the beams and spikes are put through his hands and through his feet. And they hoist him up and they drop him down and for the next several moments he labors to breathe. There's a song a few years ago, So You Had a Bad Day. You want to talk about a bad day. You want to talk about hurt. That is physical anguish which few in our world will ever experience, with few of us would ever come close to experiencing. Beyond the physical, there's the emotional though, right? Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 26, uh, verse 46? He cries out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me. God, God, why have you forgotten me? God, why have you turned from me? God, why am I now all alone? God, why are you absent from me? How did we get to where the Son of God uh, 
the father turns his face away. It's because he's bearing the, the, the weight of our sin, the weight of our shame, not just the weight of the sin and shame of the people that we're living, but the cumulative weight of the sin and the shame of all humanity, past, present, and future. And a holy God cannot look on that, that, that just like the huge example of unholiness. And so he turns away and, and Jesus is left alone. He's abandoned. Talk about emotional anguish. Talk about hurt. Talk about suffering. Like, I understand the taxing weight of my own sin and rebellion. I know what it's like to think back on things that I've done and I regret and the people that I've hurt and how heavy that is. Imagine bearing the weight of all the world's sin. Like, all the people in this room, all the people who've ever lived, uh, the worst and the best among humanity. Man. It's about hurting. And if there was anyone that ever had an excuse to lash out and hurt people when they were hurting, it would be Jesus. But, but Jesus didn't. And I know what some of you are going to think. You're like, yeah, but he was Jesus. Hello, free pass. Get a jail free card. Like, like, like it was easy for him. The thing is, it wasn't. Because when we read scripture, we see that Jesus availed himself. He, he got rid of all the advantages of being divine. And he walked this road of life as a human, as you and I do. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way we were, but he was without sin. Like, like he experienced humanity as you and I experience humanity. Like, like Jesus would have been tempted just as much to lash out at the soldiers, mocking him, jeering him, spitting upon him, getting ready to gamble for his clothes as you and I would. But we don't see that in Jesus. Jesus hurting like none of us will ever hurt chooses to reach out into love in a profound way from the cross. I want to take you to three things that he says on the cross that show us what it looks like to help even when we hurt. At the very beginning of the crucifixion account, Luke chapter 23, we learn that uh, Jesus is hanging between two criminals. Um, the word there for criminal means um, wicked, evil, Violent. It has to do with like the worst of the worst. Well, you know that the execution of crucifixion, the execution practice of crucifixion was saved for the, the very worst among criminals. So he's hanging between two criminals. People have mocked him. They've stood by and called for his crucifixion and his death. He's possibly looking out over a crowd trying to make sense of things through vision blurred by sweat and tears and blood. He can feel the open wounds on his back scraping against the rugged beam of the cross. And what does he say in that moment, Luke 23, 34? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Even as he hurts, even as he suffers beyond what we can imagine, even when we would excuse anything that he would want to say to get off his chest about Pilate or the chief priests or the soldiers, what does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them. Like even as he hurts, he chooses to extend grace, unmerited, undeserved favor, loving kindness to his oppressors, to his accusers, to those that betray him and hurt him and harm him. That is crazy. What kind of love is that that would say, listen, I am suffering. Like, I have every right to turn inward, but I'm going to say grace on you, forgiveness towards you. 
What would it look like if even as we hurt, we chose to extend grace to those around us? You've been there. You've been in the hospital room watching your child, your spouse, your parent, your grandparent. You've seen them in pain. You've known the stress where you're just stretched to no end and the, the little machine is beeping and it's beginning to drive you absolutely nuts. And so you grab the little remote that's tethered to the bed and you hit the, the cross, the red button with the white cross in the middle and, and then you wait. And for you, it seems like forever. And so when your nurse comes in, you think that she's just been chilling out, sipping on her Mountain Dew. And so you decide because you're hurting, you're going to let her have it. And so you as a hurting person hurt somebody else. But what would happen if you extended grace? If you believed the best of that person? You've been there. Uh, your kids are frustrating you. Uh, you thought you'd go out for a nice family dinner. Peaceful, you thought it would be. They love this restaurant. And before you know it, food is flying and children are crying and they're grabbing your phone and they're dropping it in the sweet tea and you're like, this is the worst idea ever. And on top of that, you've got a waiter or waitress that just doesn't seem to have a clue. Uh, and so you make sure that they know that they don't have a clue. But what happened if hurting people didn't have to hurt people? What happened if hurting people helped people? Uh, there, there's this image that's kind of sealed in my mind. Um, my grandfather on my father's side um, was a, a pretty decent man. He was pretty generous. He liked to take us out for meals from time to time. And, but there's this image of us going to the Sirloin Stockade in Danville, Illinois. Uh, all of us, like kids, grandkids, and, uh, and, and my grandfather felt like the service wasn't quite what it needed to be. Like, you're serving 20 people at the Sterling Stockade. It's not exactly an easy job. And so he decided he was going to leave a penny because that would teach her, right? A little passive aggressiveness, right? I, I remember just being mortified and my parents thankfully coming behind and, and, and giving a, a decent tip. But what would happen if instead of hurting people, hurting people, if hurting people helped people? Uh, just a, a couple of months ago, a gentleman in our church was going in for major, major, major heart surgery. And I'd made a promise in the weeks leading up to it that I would go and I would pray with them before surgery. I could tell it meant a lot to him that he was really, you know, just, it was going to be a big deal. And so a few months ago, I stood across from him. He was in ICU, uh, tubes just coming out of seemingly every part of his chest and uh, in incredible pain. I looked across from him, not on the day of his surgery, but the day after his surgery, because I'd forgotten the day of his surgery. And as I, I walked into the room, um, some of the first words, I don't know the exact first words, but some of the first words out of my mouth were, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. And here's a man who, who could have chosen to lash out at me. Um, I've been there. It doesn't happen very often, but believe it or not, people can be pretty feisty when they're hurt. Um, and, and when I said I'm sorry, he looks back at me, pain, just having come through major heart surgery, and he says, Craig, 
I think if God has forgiven me for all the things that I've done, that surely I can forgive you for not being here yesterday. And I have to tell you, 18 years of being a minister, of being a preacher, of being a pastor, whatever word you want to call me, that's one of the most tangible, powerful expressions of love that I've received from someone. I was nearly moved to tears in that moment because here's someone who is hurting and instead of lashing out, they extend grace. Followers of Jesus, what would happen if we choose not to turn inward when we hurt, but we choose to extend grace and help other people? And Jesus is just getting started. The soldiers cast lots for his clothes. The people stand and watch. They sneer at him. They spit upon him. They mock him. One of the criminals decides to join in the taunting. This is verse 39. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Uh, the other criminal rebukes him. Uh, he says, buddy, I think you're talking uh, um, trash to the wrong guy. Don't you have any fear? Like, we're being crucified for something that we've done, but this man has done nothing. And this compassionate criminal turns to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In that moment, he expresses a deep faith in this Jesus who's being crucified next to him. And what's Jesus' response back? Verse 43. Truly I tell you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus suffering, Jesus burdened, Jesus in anguish chooses to take the opportunity to invite this man into paradise, to promise him an invitation into his life. The Greek word that Luke uses is the word paradiso. Um, it comes in etymology from the Persian word pardek. A pardek was the ancient Persian word for the king's garden. The king's garden was this walled garden filled with all kinds of beautiful vegetation, lush trees, water features. Some of them even featured what we kind of would call a zoo. Like it was this really special place, an exotic place of wonder, but only honored guests were invited in to the king's garden. The honored guests would become, been invited in to come just enjoy the garden. And Jesus, in this moment, invites this thief into his garden. When Jesus is suffering, when Jesus is hurting, when Jesus is, is just struggling, he chooses to take the opportunity not to wound, not to hurt, not to curse the criminal on one side, but to invite the other criminal into his garden. Uh, in, 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 in my time as a minister, Audrey and I have had the privilege of being invited into people's gardens. There are times when there is a family that is battling cancer or some type of terminal illness. And they call us up or they send us an email and they say, hey, we'd like for you to come over for dinner. And even as they suffer, they invite us into their garden. There are times when we've been asked out to dessert. There are times when, when someone invites us over and we think that we're going there because maybe they want something from us and they want us to pray for them or, or to encourage them in some way. And in the process, they never once talk about themselves, but they're curious about our lives. They, in, they invite us into their garden. 
hurting people who don't just turn inward and say, I'm hurting, I have a reason to hurt you or to respond harshly to you, but no, I'm hurting, but I'm going to reach out and I'm going to invite you into my garden. What would happen if we as followers of Jesus would choose when we're hurting to see beyond ourselves and, and not make it about who's going to prepare meals for me, who's going to help me, who's going to make sure that I get to come into their home and people tell me how great I am, but they're going to say, listen, how can I help somebody else? What if hurting people didn't have to hurt people? What if hurting people help people? What type of love, what type of profound, transformational, deep experience of love would that be? I tell you what, it, it, would, it would rock our community. It would rock our families. It would set a, a bar for what it really looks like to love people like, like the world is just starving for. But there's more. John 19. Jesus still in anguish. His final hour approaching. Jesus' dad, Joseph, is deceased by this point in Jesus' life. Uh, that means as a widow, Mary has few to take care of her but her own children. And Jesus, in John 19, we're told that his mother and some close friends of the family are gathered close. He looks out from the cross, and, and I cannot imagine what it would be like to see your mother uh, in, in anguish. I'll be the first to tell you, I am a sympathy crier. Like, if I see somebody that I even halfway care about crying, like, the floodgates come on. And I tell you, what, you if I see my mama cry, whew, I just hurt for her. And I can imagine being Jesus and looking out and, and thinking, about, man, what's going to happen to her? He looks and he, he sees his, his good friend John, uh, his beloved disciple, and he knows he's got to make provision for his mama, so they're from the cross. And I can't imagine being Mary either, by the way. Imagine what it's like as a parent to look up and to, to watch your child die. It's, in that moment, here's what Jesus says, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. Mama, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Isn't that just moving? Like, like Jesus is hurting, Jesus is suffering, but in that moment, what is he consumed with? I gotta make sure my mama's okay. He provides for her even as he hurts. He chooses to help when he's hurting. Now, what would happen if we as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, Christians, little Christs, people who are supposed to look like him, when we were hurting, would look beyond our own pain and say, how can I help somebody else? How can I provide for someone else who's hurting around me? What would happen if our eyes weren't so clouded by our own hurt and our own suffering and we weren't so captivated by our own sulking that we said, what can I do for those around me? That's a deep love. That would extend the care and the compassion of Christ in a real authentic way that our world is starving for. If you're suffering in this place today, I encourage you, don't cling to the excuse of I'm a hurting person, I can hurt other people. Live for the higher, the higher way. I'm a hurting person. How can I help somebody? 
How can I provide for them? Maybe it's, maybe it's choosing to go home even as you hurt, even as you suffer, even as arthritis makes your hands turn in and you pin that note and you send it to somebody to encourage them. Maybe it's, it's going to Kroger and getting that gift card and, and helping somebody else who you know is going through a hard time. How can you help someone even as you hurt? That's a deep love. That's a love that will transform the world. It's a love that is transforming the world because that's what God did for us. And that love reigns in the life of his people through the power of his spirit. Uh, we were invited to a friend's house um, Monday night and they have a pet hedgehog. Um, uh, this is not a picture of their hedgehog. Their hedgehog's even cuter than this one. And, uh, um, but they were telling us as they showed us the hedgehog and let us um, kind of uh, touch its spiny back and uh, feeding it some mealworms um, that, that when, the, when the hedgehog feels threatened, it will roll up into a ball. And that's what we so often do as people when we're hurting. We feel threatened. We roll up into a ball. But something happens when we choose not to roll up into that ball and we're vulnerable. And we choose to extend care and compassion to other people even as we hurt. I'm telling you, if you've experienced that from someone, you know what I'm talking about, to think that that person was going through that and they were thinking of me? It'll, 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 it'll change your life. And we have a world that's starving for that. I dated myself first service, so I might as well date myself second service. Like, there are these commercials on TV, Saturday morning cartoons. You might remember watching Saturday morning cartoons in your underwear. Oh, hands are still up. Just kidding. <laughs> so, um, anyway. So, I would watch Saturday morning cartoons with my, um, with my, with my dad every, every single Saturday. And there were these popular commercials that came on between the good cartoons, like Snorks and Smurfs. And they had this really cool one about, like, WWF wrestlers, like, were cartoon superheroes. Like, it was amazing. And, um, and so, we would watch these shows, but there were these commercials time and time again for milk. Like, they knew all these children were watching cartoons, and, like, they wanted them to get strong bones, right? And so they had these commercials about milk. And this one particular commercial, it aired in all kinds of different ways. They used a lot of zany things in it. They would, they would say, milk, it does a body good. Anybody remember the tagline? Pass it on. Milk, it does. Anybody ever watch that? Or is that like, Craig, you're 40, you're old. All right, so apparently like five of us did. So, um... <laughs> They say, milk, it does your body good, pass it on. Like, tell somebody else, drink your milk, it'll do your body good. Here's what I will tell you. That if we will choose to help other people when we're hurting, it will do your body good. Physically. Check the research. When people who are hurting, when people are suffering, when people are going through hard times, when they will choose to reach beyond their own hurt and help somebody, it actually helps them. It gives them more joy. It helps them have a different perspective on their life. It's not all, woe is me, my life sucks, my life's so bad. No, it's, I can help other people. God's still got a purpose for me. I can still do something. But here's the kingdom perspective. When we reach out and help other people when we're hurting, it does the body good. The body of Christ. Because people get a perception of God's people that, wait a second, even when life is hard, they can still reach out and they can help other people and they're making a difference in this world. What would happen if hurting people helped people? What would happen if we lived like Jesus and loved like Jesus? It would change the world. If you're suffering in this place today, and again, I know some of you are, how can you tangibly today choose to reach out beyond your own hurt? Is it to extend grace? Is it when the uh, home health professional comes to your door and they're a few minutes late to, to thank them for what they do day after day after day? 
I mean, can you imagine how fun it really is to, to bathe a bunch of people you don't know? That's hard stuff. That's, that's humbling service. And what if you chose to extend that grace? What if when you go to lunch today or when you hit the golf course and somebody's pushing on your foursome, what if you choose to extend grace? I know you're going through a rough time. I know you just needed this three hours to take a break from things, but what if you chose to extend grace? Well, what if some of you chose to invite somebody into your garden? What if you chose to reach out and to say, listen, I know that I'm hurting, but why don't you come to lunch with me? Why don't you come over and you just take the opportunity not to talk about all the things that are wrong with you, but you just pour into them and hear their story? What would happen if we chose to provide for somebody else even as we hurt? I'm not saying that there's never a time to know I hurt and this is hard and, and, and I've got to really think about what are the right decisions for our family. But, but what happens if that doesn't become the, the sole focus that we still can reach beyond? We would change the world. Listen, if you're, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what Jesus did for you and me. He did this for you. Like, like, we can think about what Jesus did on the cross, and we can think about him saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And we can visualize soldiers and, and jeering and, and mocking mobs and crowds, and, and we can hear those words, today you'll be with me in paradise, and imagine a, a thief on a cross, and, and we can hear Jesus say, woman, behold your son. And we think about, man, that's great for them. But do you understand that all that Jesus did from there, he did for us. Like, when he said, Father, forgive them, he was bearing your weight. And your sin and your shame, he says, I'm going to set them free if they'll trust in me. When, when, when he looked out and he, he said to the, the thief, like, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's an invitation he makes to you and I that we can live for something greater than this broken world. That we can do great things in this world, but we can be a part of the renewing force in this world. But ultimately, we can be a part of this eternal inheritance that's not bound by the brokenness in this world. How about provision? <laughs> He gave us his life, and he gives us his spirit. Listen, if you, if you want to come to experience that today, talk with someone. Maybe it's someone seated around you that you know that's invited you. Maybe it's a, a pastor, one of our elders at the front of the room following our closing song. Maybe it's by simply checking a mark on your connection card and putting it in a white basket. Maybe it's an email later this week. Maybe it's a phone call or a text to a friend who you know is a follower of Jesus. But let's start that conversation so you can experience the same hope that so many other followers of Jesus have who've been transformed by his amazing, incredible love. Let's help other people even when we're hurting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Um, that God is so relevant and timeless. God, help us to be people God, if we're followers of Jesus who choose to see beyond our own hurt and to help other people in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our financial difficulties and debt, in the midst of our emotional anguish and parenting struggles and strife, to reach beyond to help other people. And Father, I, I pray that, God, for those in this room who have yet to identify you as their their Savior, to, to put their faith and trust in you like the, the, the thief on the cross did, that they, God, would open up their hearts to you and say, God, I want to live for you. I want to be a part of this kingdom that's characterized by this incredible love. God, guide us in this. Help us in this. Lead us in this. And it's only by your grace.
Amen. Will you please stand?